Okay, guys. Now, we all know that we're crazy. You know the reasons I'm crazy. I know the reasons you're crazy because I read your reviews and your DMs and I know you guys don't have it all. So I brought somebody in today that's not going to only help us. They're going to help us to help our teenagers and the young people around us. Janae Johnson is an award-winning teen therapist, entrepreneur, author, speaker. She owns Teen Talk, a premier therapy practice and educational company. And she's also the co-founder of the Black Brain Campaign. She was named the Huffington Post as the top 10 Black female therapists to know. She's a sought-after speaker on teen emotional issues. And Lord knows teenagers have some issues. She's featured as a media personality in Black Enterprise, ThriveWorks, Essence, Philadelphia Tribune, and a whole bunch more that I'm not going to read, but I'm going to put it on the blog so you can see every one of her accolades. She holds a Bachelor of Science from, is it Bachelor or Bachelors? I forget what my degree says. I ain't dusted it off in so long. She holds a <laughs> degree from Delaware State, State University and a Master's from LaSalle University. Janae, how are you, how are you doing today, Janae? Did I, did I give you justice with that introduction? You did. You read that so well. I need to just hire you to read <laughs> You know, because, you know, basically I just read everything that was on your, your website. So I was like, I can't mess this up because I'm getting it from the source. So <laughs> you did. Fantastic. Love the enthusiasm. Um, I'm great today. How are you? You know, it's been a trying day. It, it, re it really has been a trying day for me. I'm working on a case right now um and i hate to call it a case because these are people's lives where one of a little a 10 year old girl passed away right mm, yeah. and of a very aggressive form of cancer and a video went viral because her father was not allowed to attend the funeral oh no and of course someone sent it to me because this is a blended family issue and now my team and I are knee deep in investigative journalism, which is something that is very new to me. I'm a master step family coach, but you know, when it comes to digging into the facts, um, you know, this is pretty heart wrenching. So I'm, you know, I'm in a, I'm in an odd space right now, you know, dealing with the loss of a child and a family is, will never be the same because of yeah. the fallout. So, and, and this girl has a teenage sister. She has an older sister. Mm. Um, you know, those of you that follow me, you'll see the story. I, I don't know when this podcast will be posted because I try to make everything so that it's relevant. You know, if you listen to it in 2018 or 2022. Um, right. So whether you're listening to this and you, the story's not up yet, or it's, if you've already seen it, just know that right now I'm in the midst of like working through all of the facts and it's a mess. So, cause you know, how, yeah. how does a parent ban one parent from knowing that their child had cancer and then keep them from coming to the funeral that just sounds awful to me but honest. you know and you know i'm getting the answers there's a lot of layers it ain't it ain't what we think so you oh. know uh, i asked you to come on because teen talk therapy now mm -hmm. we have um we had another therapist another counselor on hill a while back kirsten who runs um uh what's her what's the name of her platform Oh, I could, God, I can't forget, but I, I love her. I've heard people to her. And, oh, I call, you know, she calls herself the teenage whisperer. Okay. But I like to get people, different people's perspective on how we deal with teens, not just people that are step-parenting teens, but people that are parenting teens or teaching them or just around them because they're tough. Yeah. First, yeah. Question, first question I want to ask is, are today's teens different than how we used to be when we were kids? What's your opinion? This question is so interesting as I, um, I have begun doing workshops um, around the country on the different generations. Mm. And what I think has been interesting about teenage years is that the only, I'm not going to say the only, but the biggest or the main difference now is that teens have social media. Because okay. the reality is our parents, our grandparents, they were sneaking off. They were doing things that they weren't supposed to do. They were mm. dabbling in substances. It's just there wasn't any documentation <laughs> um, about them doing it. 
Um, and I think that that's the biggest difference is that teens have social media. And because a lot of teenagers don't understand the severity of social media, the dark parts of social media, they don't understand social media in its entirety. They just document their lives at every turn. And so that becomes evidence or proof. Um, but I think to me, that's the biggest difference. And I also think that teens now, um, they're very, not, I don't want to say that they are more into social causes because I do think teenagers back in the day were also involved in social causes. Mm -hmm. But I think teenagers today are finding their own voice for a social cause where I think in previous generations, teens follow what their parents' activism was about. Mm. Um, and okay. to me, those are, those are like some of the two big differences, but adults were doing the same thing teens were doing back in the day. But we, a parents love to say, I didn't do that growing up. Yes, you did. I'm like, grandma, <laughs> you got six kids, girl. You did something. And don't it come for wasn't, me. Right? It wasn't birth control. There weren't all of these other things, right? There was only one income in the house. And so it just looks different, but it was still ultimately the same behaviors. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a great explanation. So, what what does a day in a in the practice look like for you? I know you're a speaker, you're an author. Um, but what what's a day in Janae's life? Because I kind of want to help the audience to get to know you before we get into all these questions. Absolutely. Um, so a day for me, I also um, do some consulting and contracting work in a middle school. So a day for me. Oh Lord! Oh God! <laughs> I gotta tell y'all something. You, I could not be your child's teacher, their counselor. I, could, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Lord, you help me, God. I could not do it. Well, you are a saint, woman. Oh, my but, goodness. Thank you. And I, I actually love it. So I work in the middle school. So I wake up. I journal. I kind of meditate, get my own head together. Mm. Um, I will... Depending on the day, I will check emails. I will review, you know, who do I need to follow up with? Who do I need to check in with? Like you said, for speaking or large book, bulk, bulk, bulk orders. Um, and then I'll think about, I'll review my caseload for the day to see who am I seeing um, in my private practice. So I work out of school for a few hours and then I go to my private practice. Mm. So, I'm oh God, and that's just by noon. Damn. <laughs> this is all right. right. Um, and then I go to the school and then I do some consulting with the principal, the other counselor. If any of the teachers want to, you know, check in with me, because um, I've been there for about three years now. So now I have a really good relationship with everyone there. So they can come right to me and say, oh, hey, I noticed such and such has been sleeping. Or, hey, such and such has been a bit more irritable because I've taught the teachers and all of the administrators how to pay right. attention to emotional health signs and things that could be going on. So, I, you know, as soon as I get in, I give myself time to, you know, go around, talk to everyone, okay. get some okay. updates. Um, and then I start to see clients. I meet with parents if parents want to come in. Um, the principal loves having an additional person there because she's like, oh, can you call that parent? <laughs> and I'm so like, you're sure, at a really I'll good school them. that's able to provide uh, a therapist, a counselor to their students because we don't see that at certain certain schools, you know, so right. thank goodness for that. So I want to talk about the clients. I know you can't give us specifics because of HIPAA yeah. and all those cute um, abbreviations, but yes. what is the prevalent issue that you see your teenage clients coming to you with? Oh, absolutely. Um, so a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, um, and self-harm. So a lot of students oh. will, yeah, a lot of clients in general will self-harm when they are feeling depressed um, because not all of the time, but in some cases, um, feelings of depression can lead to suicidal thoughts. So I do work with, that is in my private practice, my specialty. So most of my clients that come to me in my private practice are having feelings of suicide, have had a history of self-harm. Um, and so that's what they come to me for because I just work really well with teens that are depressed, um, experiencing suicidal ideations and self-harming behaviors. Okay. Self-injurious behaviors. Um, so I would say that that's the most prevalent thing. So what is... You know, I, when, I remember when I was a kid and my mom was a social, she's a retired social worker and she was around troubled children all the time. So I kind of had a really good example of 
what to do and what not to do. But you know, sometimes when a parent is doing this all day, it's difficult for them to come home and translate their work to their own child's needs. It's, that's one of my beliefs. That's how I experienced mm-hmm. childhood. And I remember feelings of sadness. I can't particularly identify depression because at the time I didn't know what that was. I don't right. think half of us really understand what depression is. So why, and this might sound weird, but I just remember growing up, my mom was tough. You guys mm-hmm. have heard people. You guys on this podcast, y'all have heard from Fancy Nancy now. Y'all know my mama. She's been on here to talk to us. So y'all see how that woman that y'all heard on that podcast, that is not who she, that's not the person that raised me. I don't know that person right now. That person now is nice and gentle and kind. And I was like, but she was a, a pit bull with my sisters and I. So I just remember, you know, feelings of sadness or, you know, hormonal changes because I was a teenager or maybe my cycle was starting or something like that. And mom would be like, get up. What are you sad for? You don't have a reason to be sad. You don't have to go to work. Da, 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 da. You know, all of these things that are kind of old school antiquated way of thinking, but how do we know how to, how do we know our kids are in fact depressed and not just lazy? So that is a very good question. So the first thing you have to do before you even decide that your child is depressed or lazy is you really have to get to know your child. Mm. And I think what often happens is parents see their child from the lens of what they want them to be. And that's going to be a problem within itself. So Mm. you, you have to stop yourself and it's difficult. Uh, um, but you have to stop yourself and say, is, you know, Lisa, is Lisa, Lisa, am I paying attention to Lisa for Lisa or am I looking at Lisa for what I want for Lisa? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think sometimes even when we think about lazy, is like, is that child lazy or do they operate at a different pace? Do they still get things done? But is their idea of the timing different? Mm. And so I think that that's the first step. You really have to get to know your child for who they are, not who you want them to be. And then once you get to know your child for who they are, then you can create or have a, what we call a baseline, which means you understand their baseline behavior. Because I have a little cousin that loves video games and he stays in his room and plays video games and he always has, and he's about to go to college for computer science. Yeah. Makes total sense to me, but that's his baseline. So, okay. so what is my child's baseline? What's their norm? What is and their are they norm? deviating from the norm? Are they deviating from their norm? So like if my cousin started to go out to parties and I mean like excessively partying and coming home, you know, looking intoxicated, I would think something's wrong because that is not his norm. So, so depression could, isn't always sleeping and can't get out of bed and being lazy. It could just be a drastic change in behavior. So depression is a drastic, um, it is a drastic change kind of in behavior, but it may not, but it may look like loss of um, interest in activities and in black youth. It looks like um, a lot of, physiological symptoms so they'll say that they have headaches they'll say that they have toothaches um that their stomach aches so depending on this is so confusing because teenagers (laughs) are you know y'all y'all know how i feel about teenagers they smell they like they take your money like they don't they just want to be on their phone all day they're just they they smell like y'all know how i feel about teens Except for the teenage, you know, except for my stepdaughter. I think she, she doesn't smell. She's awesome. Um, but so I, I, it's, it's very difficult, though, to kind of pinpoint because everything that you're saying, it's kind of like, well, they're moody anyway. Yeah. So I guess, like, how would a parent, and I know this is a very general question because you don't, you can't go into every kid's um, daily routine, but what are kind of the telltale signs if I have a teenager and I'm like, I think something's off with her. What, what should I be looking for? Well, you should be looking for any types of, you know, like I said, physiological symptoms, any type of aches and pains um, that seem to be more than they've ever reported before. You do want to pay attention to if they have a certain interest in activities and they don't do it. So even if, my, for example, my cousin, if he all of a sudden said he didn't want to play video games anymore, that would also have me alarmed mm-hmm. um, because you've been playing video games all of your life. Like you beat them for fun. 
Um, so I would be concerned if now you don't want to play video games and you're losing interest in that. Um, if they're still hopeless, if they are, you know, if they are irritable, being irritable is a big deal. Um, if their grades are dropping, now, if their grades are dropping, it typically means that they have been like the A, B student. Again, you need to know their baseline to right. even know if their grades are dropping or if this is just a that, course. Yeah, that wouldn't have applied there. to me in school because I was a constant C student. I see my way out, baby. You know, so, so that's mm -hmm. why you got to know the baseline. Right. <laughs> um, you want to pay attention to eating habits, sleeping habits, if they like lose their appetite. Um, and in terms of sleeping habits, it could look like a lot of sleeping, but it could also look like trouble sleeping. So, okay. Okay. you know, those are just some of the, you know, the signs. Um, and again, some parents don't notice those things, but they may notice cuts. So. Okay. Okay. Now yeah. I, I don't know what the most recent statistics are. I, I was reading the study not too long ago and it said that suicide rates amongst teens and young adults have reached their highest point in nearly two decades. Mm -hmm. um, something is happening within our society or are the reports just changing to where suicides are being um, documented better? So I think both. Um, I do think that we are finally not allowing suicide to be a taboo conversation um, because it used to be really taboo we would never even say, like a lot of us probably knew someone who died by suicide and yeah. would not say that in conversation or in True, that's very true. Um, so I do think it's being reported more frequently. Um, and I also think that life stressors have hit an, an all-time high for teens and there are less protective factors. I stand by that statement. I probably say it every time someone asks. Mm -hmm. um, what does that mean, less protective factors? So when you look at doing any type of psychological assessment, we will always assess for risk factors versus protective factors. So a risk factor could look like, you know, large family, maybe a single parent home, just all of these different things that could quote unquote put this child at risk. Mm -hmm. um, and protective factors are factors that this child has access to that can help buffer the risk. So that could look like a strong church family, um, family that lives in the city, um, strong academic success, supportive school, all of those different things, right? After school programs. And when we look at the lives of a lot of teens, they don't have a lot of protective factors. And when you include social media, right? Because social media usage wasn't such a big thing. That's a big risk factor. And it is very hard to protect them from that. And it's very hard because in general, there aren't that many, you know, like free after school programs for teens or things for teens to do. Teens right. can't even really get jobs anymore because adults have the jobs that teens used to have when I was growing up. Mm. So teens really do not have safe spaces to to grow through that very interesting time of their life where their brain is really going through a lot of developing you know what and janae that's a good segue the teenage brain this <laughs> underdeveloped or this ever-changing uh teenage brain is it the latency period that it's called when when they reach their teens um, yeah. I, okay Y'all, oh, I remember that being a question on my certification test. And I was like, what the hell? So can you explain to us what latency is and um, how it occurs in like all teenagers, all people of a certain age? So for the teenage brain, the one thing I always like to talk about is that the teenage brain reaches its like largest physical size around 11 for girls and around 14 for boys. And it's just not... But it doesn't mean that the brain is like done maturing. So there's this time in our brain when youth become teenagers where everything that they've learned as a child, their brain is now starting to prune. So that basically means the child or the teen now is taking all of the information that they haven't used and they're deciding it to cut it out of their psyche. And this is why trauma is such a big deal at this point in time because when trauma enters a teen's life or their brain, their brain is rewiring everything. So if they have traumatic experiences around those teen years, 
that traumatic experience is basically being cemented in their brain as this is how life goes. Mm. This is how it is because that is what the brain is doing at that age. The brain is taking all of this old information and saying, oh, we don't use that. Cut, 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 snip, snip, snip. But once things start happening in teen years, the brain is like, oh, okay. So this is getting cemented. This is, this is what we're doing. Um, and so it's a very resilient brain, although it's very vulnerable. Um, that is why I feel resources in the teen years and being supportive and doing, and being just more open around those years during that, you know, part of brain development, is just really important. Um, and also why I decided to work with teens, because it's like, by the time you become an adult, you are set in your ways. And when we think about that, it's because your brain has been set. Mm. Um, That's scary. That is it, very scary. It is not the funnest thing, but it, it also it also talks, uh, the brain is also not fully developed, right? So all of these decisions that we want teens to make, they can't, that part, that part of their brain isn't fully developed. And that's why we watch them make a bunch of silly choices um, and where, like, why are they doing that? So we know that, yeah, I know your brain isn't developed. I know you're still in the latency period. Look at me using big words. But <laughs> how, but, you know, these teens can make a mistake and it could offset the rest of their lives. And the consequences could be longstanding. How in the heck do we equip them with enough knowledge? Do we tell them, hey, I want you to know that your brain isn't fully developed, so you need to consult with me. How do you equip them with enough knowledge to know that they just don't know right now? Great point. So I think this is where um, a good relationship with the authority figure or an adult is important. Because I know all of these teens in the world, they don't have a problem going to an adult for support. I think mm -hmm. the issue is adults sometimes don't make that relationship open. So they'll go to their friends or they'll go to someone else. Um, oh, there Lord. Are like, they're little right. latency friends, too. So it's just exactly. the, the blind it's, leading the blind. Exactly. And so that's why I always really encourage parents to, to work hard at having an open door policy with their team and having an open relationship because that is really what's going to be the key. But the other key, just in terms of everyday conversation, just everyday living, is just being honest with your team. So instead of telling them, oh, don't do that, being sure to tell them why you think they shouldn't do that. Um, and not in a chastising negative way, but just in a, you know, because I'm concerned if you continue to hang out with, you know, Michelle and she struggles to do her homework that you may also struggle. struggle with yours because you know sometimes when we're around our friends they can influence us right um and just and just being honest about being honest about your concern in a way that isn't condemning and in a way that still can give your teenager an opportunity to say like oh no I understand mom but my, I already did my homework Right. Because then mm -hmm. now as a parent, you may not have to worry, but at least you guys have had a conversation that was open. You shared your concern. They responded. So I think that that's one of the very first keys. I feel a lot of parents don't feel that they owe their child a air quote explanation. Mm, you're darn and real. Because I do. said so. Right. Right. Do it. And you do. Mm -hmm. You do owe them an explanation. They're kids. Thank you. You wouldn't They're tell your 10 year old. Like, oh, I don't know you an explanation. You would explain why you said not to do it if they questioned. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same concept. Um, I think we take teens' body size and vocabulary and decide they're an adult. They're not. Y'all, what she says, well, just because they look grown, they smell grown, they act grown, their brains are peanuts, and yes. they are not grown. Handle them with kid gloves. Yeah, so... I want to talk a little bit more about anxiety here in a second, but okay. you said, I'm thinking of something interesting, um, maybe from my own family. Now, I remember having this little cousin, and from the time that he was around different authority figures, people not his parents, not his immediate household, mm -hmm. kindergarten, preschool teachers would come and basically try to tell the parents, hey, he's being very defiant. 
he's not doing what we say. He hit a kid. He did this. And this progressed throughout his junior high, high school. Um, and then by the time I think he was 17, he started getting in trouble with the law. Mm-hmm. And the, the parents, I, I don't, I don't know what they tried, but I'm assuming they tried everything. They, I, I know that they probably tried spankings, beatings, if you will. Um, I don't know about counseling, but he's now serving a eight year sentence for robbing someone for their iPad at gunpoint. Thank mm-hmm. God that no one was hurt, but you know, and I kind of saw, you know, as from afar, cause it's, you know, I've been living in New York for 20 years now. All my family's back in Tennessee, but mm-hmm. you know, so I'm hearing the stories like, Hey, so-and-so got in trouble again today. And I'm like, guys, when are we going to do something about this? How is a parent supposed to know I can't really, I don't want to produce a um, statistic. I don't want this to be another kid that lands in jail because I, I can't say that we all saw it coming, but we knew something wasn't quite right. How do you know when something's not quite right with your kid? How do you get out of denial rather? Because I feel like all parents know that something ain't right, but mm-hmm. can you say anything to get snap these parents out of denial and let them know you cannot handle this kid. You need to get them some more help. Well, um, that's a layered question with a layered response. But as a as a um, trained family therapist, family therapy is a big part of that because more often than not, when a child has behaviors that way, they are just holding the symptoms of a family. And usually, when a child is holding the symptoms of a family and being aggressive, there's some aggressiveness happening in the home. And if there isn't any aggressiveness happening in the home, that's when you can begin to rule out certain things. So I say that to say, in the event a child, a parent maybe spanks their child, and everybody has different, you know, viewpoints on that. But what I always like to mention to parents is, if you are spanking your child and you're cursing at your child, there should be no surprise that your child goes to school and do and does the same thing. Mm. And mm. that is always like, who is she talking to? And it's like, right. so you, because we have to just be honest. There's no way to, to separate how you handle disappointment in your home and then how that child is going to handle disappointment in their environment. Right. Which is a school environment more than likely. Hmm. So that's the first thing I always try to look for and look at. And, that, and that's happened to me. I've worked in a, a school years ago when a parent, um, this kid came to school and he would curse a lot and he was seven. And then the mom oh. was also very, very aggressive with her language. No one wanted to interact with her. And as the manager of the program at the time, I said, it's fine. I'll do it. And I, I spoke to her and I, she was cursing me out. And I said, can I ask you something? And she said, yes. <laughs> and then I said to her, why do you why are you surprised that your son comes to school cursing at other adults when you're on the phone cursing me out? Ooh. And silence. It was a lot of silence, but she was able to respond, you know, and then we had a very transparent and vulnerable conversation about what her childhood was like, how people treated her, you know, and just some of her fears and just some, a bunch of other stuff. Oh, basically you had to do a therapy session real quick. Okay. Basically, you know, and I think that that's the beauty of family therapy at times because parents probably don't know how their fears impact their decisions, their behaviors, and then ultimately impact their child's behaviors and decisions. Parents, you don't know how your fears impact your children. Mm, That's something that goes in depth because a lot of parents I see are raising their children in this fear-based environment and it's their own fears because we're born born pretty fearless. We don't have a care in the world until it's, it's, it's implanted in our brains. And so limitations happen guess where they start mm-hmm. from you mom and dad stepmom stepdad grandma if you're raising that child it starts from you it does it does and so I think that's one of the first steps of knowing that something's wrong but again it does go back to being able to recognize your child's baseline you know when they're when they're younger children being able to pay attention to development charts you know mm-hmm. checking in with the PCP keeping up with the doctor because there are some diagnoses that happen early on in a child's life and that you get to follow through. But in terms of oppositional defiant disorder, it's one of the most 
diagnosed. Um, you got to tell us what that is, Janae. Huh? You got to tell us what that is. Oh, so oppositional defiant disorder is a DSM-5 diagnosis. And that just means that the child doesn't respect authority. Hey guys, the DSM is the manual that um, all the diagnoses are in. Diagnostic Statistics Manual. So basically it's what all the shrinks use to kind of diagnose you. And when she said five, I think that means like the fifth edition. The so, fifth edition, that's yeah. the newest one. They have, they, they switched up a lot of the diagnoses. They did. They, they really, I, and I, you know, I, I have it, I read it, and I'm just like, all right. Uh, we'll, we'll get yeah. it. That's a whole other conversation of how some yes. of the diagnoses don't apply to all people, but we'll go that there on a later day. That is another conversation. Whole another podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah. a lot of, a lot of the So time, what is opposition, oppositional defiant disorder? So oppositional defiant disorder is basically a disorder where um, teens struggle to listen to authority. Um, They don't like, they will not. So when we talked a little bit earlier about like the robbery is kind of like violation of people's Mm -hmm. rights, that isn't necessarily oppositional. That would fall into conduct disorder. But um, it's like frequent temper tantrums, arguing with adults. They like to question the rules. Um, they make deliberate attempts to annoy or upset people. They oh, blame basically others. they're like Kanye West. <laughs> Kanye <laughs> West is self-diagnosed at least. He told us with bipolar disorder. So yes. I typically allow him to go through his process because it's very on target for individuals. Disorder. Yeah. It so I textbook just, almost. Yeah. Okay. yeah I, a lot of bipolar, I don't want to say is textbook, but when you get into like the bipolars and the schizophrenias, they usually are very much what like the symptomology is in a DSM. So mm-hmm. I feel like there are other disorders where it could look a little different, but for those, they usually look the same, um, mm. usually look the same. Um, yeah. So, um, so basically I think as a, as a parent, if you're dealing with a child with ODD, this is going to sound like some very off the chart advice but I want you to look at your child's environment um so often parents 100% trust the school and I advise against that method um all schools are not safe environments for children Hmm. and you really have to pay attention to the environment that your child is in you have to decide if your child is going to thrive in this environment. For example, I think examples are great. Um, also, in my private practice, pri- private practice, I see a lot of middle class to upper middle class youth, um, two parent households, and what happens is a lot of the you know girls that come to see me go to very like prestigious schools, but as they're going to these prestigious schools, they may feel that their identity is constantly in question. Okay. So you may have a parent and I've had this happen. Parents say, oh, well, I just want it better for them. And I would have to say to a parent, how did you decide, quote unquote, what was better? And then the parent is like, well, this is the kind of school I would have wanted to go to. But this you may not be the school for your daughter. And so now she's having all of these identity issues and self-harming because this isn't the best environment for her. And so sometimes in my treatment plan, the treatment is we have to switch the school. And so often when you're seeing some of these ODD behaviors, I do think it can be really important and imperative to evaluate the school as Mm. well. Because everything, I believe out of school, children should have opportunity to grow and learn. So if everything that in a and this is not just even in the classroom and i think this is where people get it confused school is a learning environment from beginning to end that means in the hall in the lunchroom everywhere not just specifically the classroom so if that school can't help your your child learn in every aspect of the school then that might be a problem for your child because your child should be learning social skills as well they should be right. learning that they can trust adults as well And if a teacher is constantly saying that they're not following the rules, that they're constantly not doing this, you do have to evaluate how supportive that school environment is to your child's learning in a social and emotional capacity as well. Mm. So So we have a lot of people, um, a lot of people that come here to listen to, I know I'm crazy. 
they've come here because we talk a lot about family conflict. We talk a lot about step family conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of want to segue into step children, step parenting and teen and dealing with teens. Now, those of us that are the step parents to teenagers, those that we might've known since they were little or those that we just met, it's kind of a very odd position to be with because we know we've learned here uh, on this podcast is these people are in the latency period of their lives. And so they might say some things and do some things that aren't indicative of the type of relationship that we'll have a little bit later on. So mm-hmm. do you have any advice for a person that's knee deep in dealing with a teenager whose parents are not together anymore? And now you're like the, the step up, step in person in their life. They may, as a matter of fact, let me just drill down even more. Do you have any advice for a person that feels rejected from their teenage stepchild? Um, yeah, so I would say acknowledge the rejection, um, be okay with that. I think sometimes we can act like, you know, everything is fine. If it's not fine, if it doesn't feel fine, that's okay. So just acknowledge that, sit with that. Um, I would also say be patient because I think that child is also going through a process and they need time to kind of reshift what what their new normal is going to be. So I would just say, be patient. And I would say, keep the, keep the relationship light, you know, at first. Mm-hmm. So as you all are, you know, getting to know each other, one, actually take the time to get to know the child. Let me back up and just say that. Actually take the time to get to know the child because I think so often there isn't an opportunity to get to know the child maybe without the other parent as a buffer. Yeah. Or without the other parent being present. And as a, I grew up in a blended family and I can say that did, it did not sit well with me that I didn't have a individual relationship with my stepfather. Everything had to go through my mother. And that just made it very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, get to know that child outside of the, you know, buffer parent. Um, and just be and then we see well. a lot of teenagers that would just show a disinterest. So it's like, how do you get to know somebody who is in their phone or who appears to be disinterested? I think they're fearful, but um, yeah. how, how do you kind of crack into that? Because, okay, you, you were raised yourself as a stepchild. So what mm-hmm. would you have liked to have seen aside from mom being a buffer? Is there anything that uh, that step parent could have said to make an impact or breakthrough? Yeah, um, I'll be fully transparent and even saying last week, my stepdad just randomly called me and I was shocked. I got nervous. I'm like, oh, something's wrong. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. He called and he just wanted to talk. And I was just like, this is uh, different. <laughs> you didn't know how to be. You're like, what, I what no, do you want? <laughs> I'm a whole adult. And I'm like, huh, what? So um, I think. And I, and I, and I think in that moment, it made me realize like, ah, this is probably what have, you know, would have been nice or helpful or comforting even when I was younger. So even just kind of like knocking on the door of of my room to see what I'm doing, even if I'm kind of short, at least it told me you're interested in knowing Mm. what I'm doing. Okay. That's Um, good. That's good advice. Yeah. And I would have opened up later. So just kind of like maybe a knock on the door or you know, slip a card or if you see me in passing, cause I caught the bus to school. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe cause my mother didn't drive, he had a car. So maybe even like, Oh, Hey, I'm gonna take you to school today. I would have gladly hopped on a, in a yeah. car instead of, <laughs> you know, having to take the bus to school or something. Or even if I said no that morning, cause I was going to go with my best friend, at least the offer was extended um and so i think even when teens can seem disinterested one i think it can be a mask they don't know how to communicate with you so Mm -hmm. Mm. they don't know what to do and i think that that's what the adult has to understand as well we have way more language right we've been around the world a few times these are kids we're asking to make us feel comfortable and have you know deep con- they don't know these are kids we are asking to make us feel comfortable i like that i like that a lot of people i think consider their own feelings right there in the, in that surface like oh my god i'm rejected i'm hurt they're being disrespectful but 
these are kids we are asking to make us who've been around the world had all these experiences feel comfortable i like that so let's look at the other end we talk i talk a lot about parental alienation i talk about Mm -hmm. loyalty binds because we know that children of divorce and or separation sometimes they will um have this fierce sense of loyalty to one parent which will prevent them from getting close to a step parent for example you know let's just say it's a teenage girl and it's her and her mom dad is gone in the household moved on with another woman so now this this child has a stepmother and stepmom is cool but she knows that just by she feels that just by liking stepmom who shows her love who is cool that she's somehow betraying her mother mm-hmm. how could Very you common. yes so talk about i just want you to start just talk about that and you know how a person how a kid can get to this place and then what could the adult do that's dealing with this okay so i think kids often can get to this place for a variety of reasons but the two main reasons um i've noticed is one parent is talking bad about the other parent or having like negative thoughts or conversation and mixed company with the child around so the child will automatically feel confused about liking this person Mm -hmm. so i always tell parents you know do not air your grievances with your partner (laughs) around the child because your grieving your level of grievance is very different from what your child is going to see as grievance right Mm. so they're not even going to have the same understanding sure you may need more money or something but saying that around your child right isn't really going to be helpful they they can't process it the same way um and then they're just going to have these feelings because they don't want one parent to be upset and they feel that it's the other parent's fault when it could be way more complicated than that. Mm. It could be way more complex, but to a child, cause they're still children, <laughs> they're going to break it down in a different way. And if that wasn't an open family conversation, they're not going to be able to come to you and ask questions for clarity and to process it correctly. So they're going to process it in their teenage brain way. And they just going to start probably being moody and mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's, that's um one thing and i think the other thing is understanding that there will always be so i don't want to say always but for a large part of the beginning there will be this thing called you know like an invisible or a split loyalty okay um and i think one of the best ways to get rid of that loyalty is when the parents if possible are able to kind of all come together and show love to each other with the children present. Mm. Um, That will allow the child to see like, oh, it's okay. Mom and bonus mom or stepmom, they get along. So it's it's cool. It's okay. So there has to be a lot of reassurance around the relationships and the new relationships and framing them in a very positive way. Now, what if you have a case where, because, you know, the people that I deal with, they can't even really be in the same room. You know, they've seen, and I'm going to use the same example. The, the teenager has probably seen the biological mother disparage dad and his new partner. And, mm-hmm. you know, because of the existing love for dad, the kid will kind of be understanding. But, you know, they're still looking at dad with a side eye now. But this new mm-hmm. partner, she don't stand a chance. How right. is a person supposed to, it, it, how's a person supposed to get past like you said, this invisible loyalty, if mom has not given permission, hey, it's okay for you to like your stepmother. If they Mm -hmm. know, as a matter of fact, that my mama don't like this person and my mom doesn't want me to like this person. So how how are you supposed to get past that wall? Or is it even possible? It's possible, but it's only possible through consistency and openness. So if you as the adult know that there's this struggle it's kind of like should you then alter your expectation for this teenager um what do you mean by that so if you if you know that there's a struggle that mom and dad kind of have this issue is it okay for you to acknowledge that i may not be able to get through this wall just yet Mm -hmm. and you can you you say that to the teenager like you know i know that you know that um your mother doesn't like me 
I mean, it seems kind of dangerous to say, but can you say that to the teenager and maybe implant something in their brain so that when they are allowed to make their own choices, they will possibly give you a chance? So I think you don't, you probably wouldn't want to say that, you know, that mom doesn't like them, but I do think you can say things to them. Like, I know that this is a really difficult transition, um, but I am here for you. I do care about you. And I look, I look forward to the day where we can, you know, get to know each other better. Um, you know, but until then I'm still here. I'm here if you need anything. So just kind of even being reassuring around the, the split loyalty that they may be involved in. Um, because I think that that goes, if I'm honest, I think that that goes unnoticed. A lot of, a lot of the time when we see kids and teens, it's kind of like, like you said earlier, there's nothing for you to be sad about. There's nothing, but there's a lot for them to be sad about. There's a lot for them to be confused about. And I think sometimes adults can be dismissive or they want to try to hurry the process up, um, because it's uncomfortable. And so I think one of the major keys there is to not attempt to hurry that process up yet and yet just let the team know, hey, this is a process for us all and I'm here with you. So when you want, when you're ready, you know, we can still build that relationship because what often happens is when a child doesn't acquiesce to what the step parent wants, sometimes that step parent completely turns that child, you know, gives that child their back. Mm. and they stop trying to connect with them and then it becomes a battle between the the step parent and the child with the other parent in the middle Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they've seen that very frequently yes um so you're saying like if a step parent's like you kind of gotta keep trying and because it's very easy to say you know what i that kid really doesn't want to get to know me i'm gonna detach i'm gonna focus on the ones that do and with not with respect to this kid is trapped in a situation that most adults can't even handle right exactly and it's it's okay to and i think that part of what people kind of don't it's okay to have a boundary so you know you have to know yourself and i know you may be eager to build on this relationship but it's just like know yourself understand the reason for your eagerness and and manage that right manage yourself and then manage your expectation because i don't know about any of y'all but like you said most adults don't even like getting new co-workers mm. or, or new bosses we can barely situations like what we put teens through and we expect them to you know get into shape quick Ooh. i struggle every time i get a new boss or a new coworker. who is this where they come from why are you here i like my old boss nothing was wrong God. like what are you yes. doing and so then you still I, have a great relationship with your old boss so then you feel kind of guilty when the new one invites you out for after work you drinks know, you're like i mean this stuff happens all of the time in adult world and we manage it the way a teenager manages it because we're all just human it really, right. it really isn't about development. While it is, I think if we could also just decide, hey, for any human going through any dynamic, uh, it's tough. Any group right. dynamic is a group dynamic that takes a while to get smooth. And, you know, it takes a while. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. So just, I guess, just kind of to, to kind of reiterate, when... I love the example that you use about the new boss. Is there anything that can be said? Because, yeah, we know these teenagers, they look grown. As I said earlier, they smell grown, they act grown. (laughs) But they don't have the same mental capacity. Well, hell, most adults don't. But they don't have the mental capacity that we would expect them to. They're not our peers. Right. Is there, can we say something to this? Because I love the analogy you just used about the new boss. You know, maybe like, hey, listen, one time I got a new teacher. And I loved my old teacher, but the old teacher left. The new one came in. She was cool, but, you know, everybody just loved the old teacher. We had been with her for like eight years and it took a long time for us just to give her a chance. And we were probably kind of unfair to her because of that. But she really tried to get to know us. Um, Does it sound like a sob story telling a kid or can you kind of tell them like, listen, I understand the position you're in and I'm not going to not going to push you, but should a step parent or a biological parent that sees that their kid is in a situation, should they say something? 
Yes. Um, I think that is always, I think that that is always just good practice. Um, so one of the things I often recommend, and I even like have some of these resources and my, or ideas in some of my books is watch when you're watching a TV show with your child and, or your teenager or as a family and a certain scenario comes up, maybe have a conversation like, Oh, I remember when that happened to me because it really humanizes the experience mm. and it really allows yes. It it allows that room for vulnerability and transparency, and so much grows from those spaces. So, yes, you could even tell the boss story, depending on, you know, the age of the teenager. They'll understand, you know, they'll understand that because what often happens is adults like to act like they don't know how a teen could be feeling or that they don't go through anything because we have a we have a very interesting relationship with power. And I think that when we don't want to share it's because of a power thing, Mm. we want to continue to have power over youth versus just, Hey, like being authentic usually helps to usually helps. It's a lot easier. And teens are not going to go. Teens don't go against their parents just to go against their parents. Most of the time, they weren't equipped with enough information to make an informed decision. And when they can't make an informed decision on their own, they go to their friends or like they let their friends make an informed decision. And then that's how things end up completely going left. So mm-hmm, talk mm-hmm. to them and, and tell them like, you know what? I, Cause you might, teens will ask me all the time. Well, like, well, how did you get through this? You know, my teens are actually now, have you experienced something like this? Because they nosy, but. (laughs) (laughs) And you mean your clients? Yeah. Yeah. You you know, and if it's clinically appropriate, I'll give them, you know, a very surface level scenario. And then they'll say, oh, well, how did you kind of. That's comforting though. That's. You kind of want to know that the person that's helping you has been through and made it through something similar. It's a comforting story. Yeah, that is. Wow. Janae. I could go on and on and on all day, but I told you I only needed to borrow you for know, 35 minutes. Is, and we've gone over that. Though. You got to come back because when we were talking, okay. I thought about like five more podcast topics you and I could talk about. <laughs> but can you give them your information? Because everybody, if you're on your phones right now or whatever device, I want you to go over to her website and subscribe to her newsletter, buy her book, um, follow her on Instagram. So Janae, can you give us all of your links? Yes. So you guys can find me online at uh, Teen Talk Therapy. My website is um, www.teentherapytalk.com. And like Nadia said, my books, I have three different books out. I also have a mother and daughter journal that I just released over the holidays. Oh, wow. I love it. It is so adorable. It's called Dear Mom, Dear Daughter. And it is a it's a joint journal so you guys go back and forth there's a mood tracker in there a positive affirmation box converse tough conversation starters um it is really amazing um and you can find all of my book resources at dearteenself.com that is also the name for all of my um dear teen self platforms i'm on instagram twitter and facebook um yeah and thank you for dear having me Yes. DearTeenSelf.com. Go to Instagram, look at Dear Teen Self, and I'm going to get that book. I think I'm yes. going to gift that to a few people. Yeah, Thank that's you. awesome. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Janae, so much. Thank you, everybody. Signing out. I will see you all Tuesday after next. I'll see you guys Tuesday after next. This is Naja Holmes. I know I'm crazy. Signing out. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm, know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. Not your heart.